Yes, come one, come all. It's the Pick 6 Podcast infiltrating your brain with the latest topics around the NFL. NFL minicamps are wrapping up. We've got a lot to discuss. I am joined by Ryan Wilson, NFL writer for CBS, and I, myself, Dave Richards, senior fantasy writer for CBS Sports. And we're glad you're with us. Ryan, are you ready to go? We're going to tackle six big topics. To uh, quote Bart Scott, can't wait. Number one, another day, another rookie quarterback making progress. Yesterday on the pick six, we talked about Josh Allen and looking like he's going to get first-team reps as soon as training camp and maybe even be the starter for Buffalo. But on the other side of the state of New York, Sam Darnold could end up being the starter. Jets offensive coordinator Jeremy Bates hinted that Darnold could be the starter if he continues to absorb the playbook at the current pace that he's been doing. And here's a quote from uh, from Bates. If you treat them like a rookie, they'll become a rookie. So we threw the whole book at him, meaning Darnold, to see what he can handle and what he needs to work on, just like the other two. And he's done a really good job. Ever since rookie camp, he hasn't flinched. This sounds very nice and, and pretty, right, Ryan? But I, I'm reading stuff online that says that he's, he, he starts off hot in, in camp practice and then he finishes cold. I believe there was a, there was a team drill at the end where he was in the red zone and he, he missed on two of his last three plays and the third play was a sack. So I don't know if I'm ready to, to put the crown on Sam Darnold just yet. I think if you're the Jets, and uh, the upside is that if you threw the book at Christian Hackenberg, it would probably hit him in the head and he would uh, suffer concussion. So if you're comparing <laughs> the 2016 second-round pick who was no longer in the NFL with Sam Darnold, the guy they traded up from number six and number three to be in position to take, I suppose that's an upside. Jeremy Bates doesn't strike me as someone who's prone to give compliments where they're not deserved. And uh, maybe he's sort of hedging here because they know we they have Josh McCown, who's 38 years old and will probably play forever. They signed Teddy Bridgewater, who by all accounts is, is having a really good offseason, uh, probably better, I think, uh, at least in terms of consistency than what we're talking about with Darnold. But I think at least they're seeing glimpses of things they were hoping to see that they never saw, obviously, in Hackenberg. Um and in the Hackenberg's defense, no one on planet Earth thought he was a second-round pick except Mike McCagnon. So that's that probably that's where that conversation probably should begin. But I feel like Darnold does have a chance. I mean, they won five games last year. They won five games last year because Josh McCown was who we thought he was, and the Jets weren't very good. So they've gone about trying to remake that roster. But I think if they're struggling again, Todd Bowles is coaching for his job. So if they're one and four, I don't know why you wouldn't turn to Sam Darnold warts and all and sort of let him work through that we're in a day and age where quarterbacks rookie first rounders anyway they're hurried onto the field and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not but this is uh an era where quarterbacks don't sit and learn like they did even when phil rivers came into the league back in 04 i should mention some of the good stuff that darnold did in practice this is from newjersey.com nj.com daryl slater writing a lot to like about darnold's practice he dropped a beautiful throw into chad hansen along the sideline he threw an even better ball deep and across the field to the far sideline, but Trey McBride couldn't hang on. There was nothing wrong with the throw, just a drop. His first touchdown was a 20-yard throw on a post route to Jordan Leggett. That's their tight end. It was another perfect throw. He dropped it right in again. His other touchdown wasn't as remarkable. He hit Jermaine Curse on a short throw in front of the end zone, but it was a strong day for Darnold overall. So maybe kind of buried that part when I talked about how his practice ended with the team drills. But maybe there is something there, and and I think you're right, Ryan. I think that if the Jets realize that they're not going anywhere fast, the smart thing to do is just put the rookie on the field 
and see what he can do. We talked about Buffalo's tough schedule yesterday and why they shouldn't put Josh Allen on the field for week one. The Jets opened the season at Detroit versus Miami and at Cleveland before taking on Jacksonville in Jacksonville in week four. If you were Todd Bowles and you see that as your schedule to begin the season, would that make you think twice about starting Darnold? Or would you say, oh, that's not such a bad schedule. Let's put the rookie out there right now and see what he can do. Look, I think I'm sort of hedging because as I'm looking at the schedule, if you're confident Sam Darnold, you put him out there. He didn't play at Wyoming. He played at USC, so the, the competition is a little tougher. He knows what it's like to play in a big game. And uh, unlike Josh Allen, he played well against better competition. So the Lions, no one is expecting that team to win the division. Matt Patricia's in his first year as coach there. The Dolphins, when's the last time they've really done anything that to sort of get our attention? Tannehill's coming back from injury. Maybe the Browns are going to be the darlings of, of the 2018 season, but they're 1-31 in, in the Hugh Jackson era. And Jacksonville is a real test. That's probably the first real test, at least from the perspective of, of the middle of June. So if you like Sam Darnold in, in August, I think you would like him uh, September 10th in their week one game. So you roll with them. But if not, I, I think especially I think the the big sort of uh, question mark isn't um, Josh McCown. We know what he does. But whether Teddy Bridgewater continues to play – like uh, what it sounds like the Teddy Bridgewater we saw before he got hurt in 2016. And that's the case. I think that's the real dilemma you have to work through if you're Jeremy Bates and Todd Bowles. Uh, do you roll with Teddy Bridgewater for one year if he's playing uh, at a high level and let Darnold learn by watching? And I think that's okay. It makes a lot more sense anyway than rolling with 38-year-old Josh McCown. But uh, that will sort itself out in August and early September. And I think given two choices – um, I think <laughs> I would make Josh McCown the, the 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 guy behind door number three. I think I would be looking very closely at Bridgewater and, and Darnold and letting those guys sort of battle it out. Ryan, it's a fascinating storyline for a team that's going absolutely nowhere. Let's go to a team that is going places. That's the New Orleans Saints. They made a move by signing Terrence West, formerly of the Ravens, formerly of the Browns. He's a running back who figures to uh, get a chance to be the number two guy while Mark Ingram is suspended. For the first four games of the season, that's if he earns that role in camp. Uh, what does this say about the other running backs that they had? Jonathan Williams, Boston Scott, the, a lot of other younger, unknown rushers that they had. And does this mean that Alvin Kamara really is only going to get 12, 14 touches per game while Ingram is out? Yeah, I think the unknown thing was the, was the uh, sort of deciding factor for looking at some veterans and eventually landing West the gig. I, I thought it was interesting that DeMarco Murray was like, nah, I'm good. And, and that's a guy coming off some pretty terrible seasons with the Eagles and, and the Titans after a strong start with the Cowboys, we all remember. So I'm sort of interested interested to see what his plan is because I'm sure he was thinking, look, this is only a one-month gig. England's coming back, and, and then where will I be? Uh, you know, that's sort of like the Des Bryant theory of, of landing a job, and, and both those guys are currently unemployed. But I, I think you don't want Alvin Kamara to be a – 20 to 30 touch guy given his versatility and given how good he is doing other things other than strictly carrying the football and it'll i'm going to see what happens when without ingram in that offense clearly it starts with drew Brees. clearly michael thomas is uh making his case for one of the the nfl's best receivers and we know kamara can do but ingram was the top five running back according to Football Outsiders with the guys who do the advanced stats. Kamara was actually a few spots ahead of him, so that tells you how good they were as a duo. And I want to see – West clearly won't be able to replace Ingram, 
by himself, but I think that offense is so explosive you can find ways, uh, other ways of scoring touchdowns, and, and Drew Brees certainly has a knack for doing that. But I do want to see what the running game looks like for that first month of the season and uh, how it's going to try to compensate for the loss of Ingram. I, my guess is that they try and piecemeal that Ingram role together, and West probably, for now, gives them their best chance to do that. I mean, we're talking about a running back. He's been in the league for four seasons, 3.9 yards per carry, 11 touchdowns on 465 carries. Decent pass catcher out of the backfield. Back in 2016, he had 34 grabs, um, 51 total over the course of his career, a couple of receiving touchdowns. Uh, he's not a burner. He's not as fast as Mark Ingram, probably not as powerful as Mark Ingram. I'm, my hunch is going to be that the Saints won't even know exactly how it's going to go down when Mark Ingram's out for those first four games, and maybe not even that first game when he comes back because it's right before their bye. Uh, they're at home against Washington. I I wouldn't be surprised if Kamara is, is is the steady presence for those first four games, and if he does well with it, he he gains more work and he gets closer to 16, 17 touches per game, which. You know, people in my world, the fantasy world, would love to see from Alvin Kamara. And as for Mark Ingram, he, he, he probably settles into a role where he gotta go, gotta kill the clock in the fourth quarter. You put him in. You're at the goal line. You put Ingram in. You need to spell Kamara here and there. You put Ingram in. And maybe he goes back to a slightly lesser version of the role that he had last year. But as of now, I don't think there's anybody on that Saints roster that can come along and, and kind of push Ingram out. They've got Terrence. I gave you the names already. It's West. It's Jonathan Williams. They've got the rookie Boston Scott, Trey Edmonds, Daniel Lasco. Probably won't even make the team. I'm thinking Ingram's spot is relatively safe, and what they do without him for those first four games is West gets in there for four or five carries. Scott might get a snap or two to help rest Kamara, and uh, maybe if Jonathan Williams makes the team, he picks up the rest. Yeah, let me put it to you this way. If you had a choice between Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and, and Mark Ingram sitting out four games, I think we could all agree. Or maybe you're, maybe not, but I think Ingram would be the guy that I would pick to take the, uh, take the seat. Well, I know who would, who I would least want to take the seat, and that would be Brees. And That's then, right. and, and then Ingram would be last, cause I'm not sure, I'm not sure who I would have second to last between Kamara and Thomas. They're both really valuable. I might say. That's a great problem to have. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I think Kamara is so dangerous that he, he probably would be right behind Breeze. I would rather have Thomas take the seat than Kamara if they had to. But you're right, Ryan. There, there's no way that Mark Ingram, uh, can be looked at as a super valuable piece of this offense. In fact, I think part of the reason why Ingram has been doing so well for so long is because of the offensive line and because Drew Brees is there. Defenses can't stack the box against Drew Brees because they know that they'll get burned doing so. And dare I say that this receiving core is a little bit better than it was last year. Not a lot, but a little bit better and and in position to to make secondaries kind of get a little uncomfortable back there. I think I think New Orleans is in for a good season again. I think they can make the playoffs again. I don't think Mark Ingram's suspension really matters in that regard. So it comes down to just how well Breeze plays, how well Kamara plays, Michael Thomas catches another 100 passes, and life goes on. And that defense, we, we haven't even said boo about the defense in New Orleans. That's got to continue to be strong. Let's move to a team that you mentioned a little bit earlier on the podcast, Ryan, Cleveland. Man, the, what did you call them, the, the darlings of the NFL? I said it in quotes. You couldn't see me, but... Oh, yeah, the air quotes going. Okay. Is this the year that actually every offseason, like, okay, the Browns have done a lot. They look good. They're going to be 
they're on the move. And, you know, two years ago they won one game. Last year they won zero games. Made a lot of moves this offseason, and on paper they look fantastic. So is is this the year? I I don't think it's the year. And last year <laughs> and last year I would have told you that there's no chance that this is their year. I, I thought they might have won a couple of games last season, but they didn't win any. Way off on that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what can I tell you? I, I had to give them a little bit of credit. I've got back-to-back topics on the Browns, and here's the first one. Jarvis Landry says he didn't have a good relationship with Ryan Tannehill. So I, I thought that that was interesting because you almost never hear players speak that candidly and honestly, especially about ex-teammates. And I, I'm, I, I just, the first thing that I'm wondering, just, and this is a macro view thing, how evident can that be on the field when a quarterback and a receiver just isn't on the same page? I'm sure you've seen examples of it. You've been covering the NFL for a long time. Uh, can you, can you even figure out a way to justify when a quarterback and receiver just aren't seeing eye to eye when they're actually playing? Well, if Jarvis Landry hated Mike uh, Ryan Tannehill, or at least uh, didn't like him very well, he didn't show it on the field because uh, 2014, 84 catches, 2015, 110 catches, 2016, 94 catches. Last year, Tannehill was hurt. He had 112 catches, which was career high. So maybe Jay Cutler is the recipe to to Landry's ills. I, I don't know if you can sort of eyeball it and say, oh, clearly that guy hates the other guy, and that's why he's not playing up to his potential. We've seen we've seen Des Bryant get angry. He's never said he didn't like Tony Romo. In fact, it sounded like they were very close, but he was sort of upset with perhaps a play calling or how the coaches were using him. We've seen Terrell Owens sort of in similar situations, although he also seemed to be quite close with uh, with Romo when he was in Dallas. We all remember the – that's my quarterback sort of weird crying press conference. But at the top of my head, I just can't think of – I remember Jay Cutler in Chicago having issues with some of his some of his teammates, but again, those teams weren't terrible year in and year out in Chicago. And Jay Cutler played, you know, he was above replacement level to to sort of give him a backhand compliment. But <laughs> I don't think when you're a professional, and we sort of hear this cliche all the time, you you can put aside your your off field issues, your locker room issues, and sort of come together as a team. And Landry may not have liked Tannehill for whatever reason, but it didn't show up in the stats. I mean, if he wants to blame his low yards per catch on on Tannehill, okay, I guess that's fine. But he was one of the league's most productive receivers, and he parlayed that into a pretty big deal when he landed in Cleveland this offseason. When you say he was one of the league's most productive receivers, you're not lying. These are just the numbers between Landry and Tannehill over their three seasons playing together in Miami. 386 targets, 273 catches, 2,834 yards and 11 touchdowns. Now, maybe the touchdowns could have been higher. Yardage, certainly a receiver would have liked to average a 1,000 yards a season at least over three seasons. But those are still some pretty good numbers. I wonder if this is a situation where Landry didn't have a good relationship with Tannehill, but Tannehill liked Landry. And Tannehill was able to say, okay, maybe this guy is not the coolest dude in the world off the field, but on the field, I need him. And maybe it speaks to Tannehill's tendency. And Tannehill might say, as a player, I like him a lot. And I wonder what Tannehill will say about Jarvis Landry, because he is going to I, – I can almost tell you exactly how it's going to go down. A reporter's going to go up to Ryan Tannehill, and they're going to say, did you see the comments made by Jarvis Landry? What's your reaction to it? And Tannehill will take the high road, because that's just kind of what quarterbacks tend to do. Everybody knows that that's coming. I would be stunned if he goes, oh, yeah, that guy's a real POS. He's not going to do that. I, I, I think Tanhill did what he had to do to try and keep the chains moving. And Landry was probably just not happy because he was used in a way in Miami that featured him 
as a short and mid-range receiver and not as a big play receiver because he's not a big play receiver. In fact, Landry admitted this week that he's not the fastest receiver in the NFL, and he knows it, but he still feels like in Cleveland he'll be put in a position to uh, to do more than just you know run out of the slot, go six yards, and cut an in route or go an out route, something like that. Here, here's the full quote. This is from NFL Network. Quote, I wasn't trying to look back in the rearview mirror, you know. I'm focused on here and where we're taking it here. I wasn't trying to take a shot at him. I understand how hard every guy in this NFL works, especially at the position, especially at the quarterback position. But at the same time, I give credit where credit is due. What what the hell is he trying to say here, Ryan? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. And I, I'm with you. I do wonder how things in Cleveland are going to work out in terms of the perception of what he thinks is going to happen. I mean, uh, Miami struggled with finding their number one receiver. Devontae Parker wasn't the guy – didn't quite live, to, live up to expectations, at least early on in the career. Kenny Stills has been sort of off and on. But they got Josh Gordon in Cleveland, and if he can stay out of trouble with the off-field stuff, he might be one of the best receivers in the league by the time the season's over because he is unstoppable when he's focused. So I don't know how much that leaves for for um, Jarvis to do other than what he was doing in Miami. And, and, and I think we'll talk about some of those other players later on that offense that are also going to take the ball away from Landry on a down by down basis. So actually I was thinking while you were talking, Dave, I was thinking, would you rather have Tyrod Taylor or Ryan Tannehill? Because I'm not convinced that Tyrod Taylor is suddenly going to be uh, the Joe Montana to revive your career. No, but I, I think that he, the one thing I, I, I think Tyrod could hurt Landry in, in regard that Tyrod will throw deep and Tannehill just was not a great deep ball passer. And I think it made him a little gun shy. I think he knew that it was a weakness for him. And, uh, and, and Tyrod's not that way at all. Tyrod is just as mobile, if not more mobile. Um, and, and I think that he's probably a little bit better of a quarterback than Tannehill at this point. So ouch. Yeah. Well, listen, (laughs) Tyrod has led a team to the playoffs. Tyrod has led a bunch of fourth quarter comebacks. Tannehill has not. Well, Tannehill did two years ago, I guess. Or no, he didn't, right? He got no, hurt. Matt Moore That's, was the one. And who took Matt the Moore was the one. So <laughs> I can't even say that about Ryan Tannehill. He did it for most of the season, though. He should get at least partial credit for that. No, I, I, I think Tyrod is a little bit more of a gamer. And if, if I'm comparing Tyrod Taylor and Ryan Tannehill to Baker Mayfield, I'm taking, I'm taking Mayfield because I'm with you that, that dude is a big time gamer. And I think he will bring all kinds of mojo to Cleveland. You mentioned it, Ryan. You talked about how. Jarvis Landry won't be necessarily the same type of target hog in Cleveland that he was in Miami because of Josh Gordon, because of other pass catchers they have. We can talk about Corey Coleman all day long. I don't think he's going to matter as much. But David Njoku at tight end is someone who I think could really step up for Cleveland this season, A, because he's just a big athletic tight end, and B, because of all those other weapons, it's going to be hard for defenses to lock him down. Now, this is an interesting point. Hugh Jackson said that Njoku – Wore down at the end of the rookie season. He expects him to jump in year two. I, very quick story here. Once upon a time, uh, I went to Cincinnati for training camp, talked to Hugh Jackson when he was offensive coordinator, brought up Tyler Eifert and what his potential was in the offense. And Hugh's eyes lit up and said, he's going to be a big part of the offense. I think Hugh Jackson likes utilizing the tight end. Not that he's calling plays anymore. It's going to be Todd Haley doing that. But Hugh is certainly going to – I mean – Todd Haley's not blind. He's going to see this guy on the field. He's going to recognize that he's in single coverage. Defenses are going to have a very hard time matching up against Njoku. I think Njoku could catch eight touchdowns this year. 
and and be a very helpful contributor to the Cleveland Browns cause. I'm not even flinching with that eight touchdowns. I, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, I hate to throw this around, but his athleticism reminds one of Jimmy Graham. And he's not Jimmy Graham yet, but he showed glimpses last year. You're like, this guy is, is a physical freak. And just the matchup nightmares it creates in the middle of the field that it didn't create last year because uh, two words, Josh Gordon. So, mm-hmm. again, if he stays uh, on the straight and narrow, and Jarvis Landry's going to play a big part of that. He's also going to patrol the middle of the field out of the slot and do all those other things. But, they, all, I mean, the running backs and Carlos Hyde, they drafted Nick Chubb in the second round, Duke Johnson. These are all guys who can make plays out of the backfield as receivers, and that's just going to create all sorts of issues. And you mentioned Todd Haley, who was sort of run out of Pittsburgh, but he – Deserves a lot of credit for sort of revitalizing Ben Roethlisberger's career, at least in the sense that he kept him from getting sacked 500 times a season. So I, I think the personality clashes could be an issue with, with how Haley fits in, but this is a much younger team as well. So if that's not a concern, Haley knows how to coordinate up an offense, how to draw the X's and O's. And as you mentioned, and Joku is going to be a big part of that if he's the, the glaring weakness for the, for the defense to try to stop. I, I love the I, I like the fact that they drafted him last year in 2017 in the first round. I had no issue with that, and um, he's in his second year. So the question is, what's that league going to be? And I think it's going to be pretty substantial. Not necessarily because he's been in the year league that'll help, but also because of all the other options we've just mentioned that are going to be around him. And once Baker Mayfield gets in the game, I, I'm with you. I, I think all bets are off in terms of how good this offense can be. Let me drop one last stat on you of. Tyrod Taylor's last 20 touchdowns, eight have gone to a tight end. And the leading touchdown receiver, receiving touchdown, whatever the hell, you know what I'm trying to say. The leading, the leading receiver touchdown of touchdowns catcher. at Oklahoma last year was, was Andrews, who was a tight end. So we've got two quarterbacks in Cleveland that are familiar with the tight end position. They've, they've looked for them. They know that they're out there. We know that the passing game is going to involve a bunch of deep threats and a lot of guys that defenses have to cover. I think I think Njoku scores as soon as week one against Pittsburgh and against Todd Haley's old team. I think he can find it there because that Steelers defense, I don't think it's as good as, as it could be or as it once was. And uh, that's, that's going to be an interesting matchup. And this is an interesting offense. I don't know if I would go as far as to call them the darlings of the league, <laughs> Ryan. That's, that's going to be the sash that you can put over their I'll shoulder. But, hey, let uh, me ask you something real quick before we move on. Yeah. Uh, week one, last two times the Steelers and the, and the Browns met in week one, 2018 and 2014, both were three-point games won by the Steelers. Uh, I think the early line in mid-June is six and a half points favoring the Steelers in Cleveland. I like the Browns in that game. What do you think? Because I'm not convinced that the Steelers' defense is very good, I would take Cleveland in the six and a half All right, points. there we go. Uh, and I think just Todd Haley knows a lot about that offense. He's going up against them. And I think the Browns, I think there's going to be a lot of positive buzz about the Browns. That's, that's, that's going to be the sash that I'll put on their shoulder is positive. You're, you're going to wear buzz. the Baker sash though. That, that it's, I'm putting it right on Baker's shoulder. Positive buzz with a bumblebee right at the end of it. I, I think that they're going to be a team with a lot of hype around them and a lot of intrigue, but no one's going to, no one's going to say, Oh, the Browns are going to go to the playoffs. I, I think people are going to have a hard time saying the Browns are even going to go seven and nine. Tyrod said that this week, by the way. He wants to face the Bills. That's. <laughs> I don't know if he'll be the quarterback by the time that that happens, but fair point. Hey, you know what? I I think it's cool that he's doing that, and I think it's cool that they are they are really taking some big steps to uh, to to get ahead in the in the AFC North. Now, Ryan, well, you're about to appear on HQ right after we tape this podcast. Well, you can also get the best highlights and the biggest sports stories right in your inbox every morning. 
with the CBS Sports HQ newsletter. It's packed with all the good stuff you need to see before you start your day. You want to be the smartest guy in the room, right? Well, this is how you do it. You go to cbssports.com slash HQ daily, all one word, HQ daily, and subscribe to that newsletter. And if you're subscribing to that newsletter, then you might as well subscribe to the Pick 6 podcast newsletter. You can stay on top of everything happening around the NFL with our Pick 6 newsletter. It features all the biggest stories, plus the latest mocks, picks, power rankings, and more. Just go to cbssports.com slash pick six daily. That's also all one word, and it's the word six. Pick six daily to subscribe. Two topics to go, Ryan, before we let you go off to CBS Sports HQ, where you can be a, a famous TV star. Bengals coach Marvin Lewis says that Tyler Eifert's status is uncertain for training camp. Where have we heard this before? I remember. I, I, I think that he is such a touchdown dominant tight end. I think Andy Dalton loves having him on the field, but he's never on the field. Last two seasons, five touchdowns, 22 games missed. Guys, an injury waiting to happen, and apparently it's already happened. Are we ever going to see Tyler Eifert play like he did in 2015? This is the biggest sort of headline reason for why there should be no Pro Bowl. Because that's where Tyler Eifert got originally mm -hmm. hurt. He hurt his ankle, and then it sort of messed up his the, the next two seasons. And you're exactly right. Andy Dalton is a completely different player without Tyler Eifert out there. I'm not a huge Andy Dalton fan. But he is the model of consistency when he's protected and he can get the ball out in about a second and a half, two seconds. And he's hard to stop when he's like that. But a big issue, a big part of that was was having Eifert as a sort of security blanket in the middle of the field. And once that went away, Tyler Croft wasn't terrible. He was actually pretty good, but he's not Tyler Eifert. Ryan Hewitt's more of a sort of an H-back type and he can provide some relief, but he's not going to be the playmaker, sort of the, the guy that can help take the pressure off A.J. Green. Um, that, that Tyler Eifert can. Uh, I think there's also a case to be made for letting Marvin Lewis, Marvin, uh, Marvin, uh, Jones, excuse me. Uh, I think some player, some coaches, some fans wouldn't mind Marvin Lewis going, but letting Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu go a few years ago, that also sort of reshaped the offense and made it even a bigger issue, um, to have Tyler Eifert healthy and it, it just hasn't happened. So they signed him this offseason, uh, so the hope is that he can, he can at some point return to form, and I'm sure Andy Dalton's keeping his fingers crossed, but that's a big part of that offense. And a lot of the struggles can be traced back to the lack of, of sort of receiving threats, not, not named A.J. Green, that Andy Dalton no longer has at his disposal. I wonder if Marvin said that out of frustration, because I'm sure in his private moments he's cursed his luck and, and Tyler's luck for being available on the field. I wonder if he's just, ah, who knows if he'll be available. We don't know if he'll make it to training camp and we, we don't know. We're, we're just going to have to wait and see. There is a chance here that Tyler Eifert just disappoints again, even though the Bengals signed him, like you said, Ryan, to that one year deal. Speaking of one year deals, and, and we're going to end it on this. Antonio Gates could return to the Chargers. As you know, Hunter Henry tore his ACL and, uh, isn't going to play this season. Gates has been a member of the Chargers since 1951. He's he's been a, he's 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 been a staple for that offense. He's been a staple for Philip Rivers, and uh, it, it doesn't like I'm I'm surprised he's not already re-signed. Like why wouldn't they go and give him a, a one-year deal already to have him participate in minicamp this week and let him start to round himself into shape so he can contribute for one last run with Phillip Rivers and the Chargers. 
I'm with you. I mean, losing Hunter Henry was such a huge blow. And I don't know if people sort of realize that who aren't Chargers fans or I, how was Hunter Henry, Henry in terms of the, the fantasy expectations? He's, was he expected to do he was fantasy? He was like a top five tight end. Yeah. So, I mean, even the fantasy players, I, I'm making it known that I'm not a fantasy player, had huge expectations for him. Philip Rivers clearly did that. That was going to be, he was going to be one of the centerpieces of that offense along with Keenan Allen and, and um, and uh, Melvin Gordon, and now I don't. I'm with you. I don't know why you wait on Antonio Gates. Not only does he give you obviously what he can on the field as a future Hall of Famer, but he, he immediately upgrades your offseason basketball team. So it's a win-win. But um, I, I suspect it'll happen sooner than later. There, are, it's not like there are a lot of options out there in the free agency at this point in, in terms of finding tight ends. And I think it's funny we've been talking about tight ends for probably half the show, but I think it just stresses how important that position has become. And um, what has become sort of a wide open passing offense over the last five, six, seven, or eight years. Well, it's a it's a mismatch game, right? They're they're looking for pass catchers of unique size and speed, and tight ends don't necessarily have unique speed. Some of them do, you know who they are, but it's it's the size that they're looking for. They want to find a, a tight end that's six four, six five, six six to line up against a six foot linebacker, or even better yet, a five ten safety that they can just steamroll. So I, I think that's what they're looking for. Uh, the quote from general manager Tom Telesco, obviously Antonio would be a natural fit. He's someone that we have talked to. We've talked to his representatives. Sometimes it's not just as easy as saying, hey, let's just bring him back. Let's go. I wonder if they're lowballing him, saying, all right, one year, one million, come on back. Let's, let's get it done. And I, could Gates be dragging his feet? Could he possibly be getting attention from another team in the league? I, I would have guessed that it was going to be a one-year veteran minimum deal. If Gates was under the impression of anything other than that, maybe this isn't going to happen. I, I mean, it's June. I don't think he's – I don't even think he's visited anywhere, much less had interests that we know about. So either – maybe he's tired of playing, and that's certainly understandable. He's been doing it a long time, for over 50 years, as you pointed out. So maybe he's he's just kicking up and, and enjoying the break. But um, I don't know. Maybe there isn't a rush either. We could see him rolling in training camp and be fine. Um, that's again the Des Bryant plan, but at least uh, you know, with with Gates, he has he has an offer on the table. I, I would I would hope he's not looking to to make a, a sort of a big last contract because uh, the reality is he's probably got one year left, and I think the veteran minimum makes sense at least for me. He, he certainly may feel differently. I'm not even sure if he's got one year left. He had three touchdowns, thirty catches, three hundred seventeen yards last season. His playing time was up and down. But he, he still got the job done. I predict by the time that training camp starts, Antonio Gates will have a bolt on his helmet. He'll have a helmet, and he'll be back in the National Football League. Ryan, I appreciate your time. Go get yourself out of here. Go be on CBS Sports HQ and inform the masses about what's happening around the National Football League. Thank you, Dave. It was you, a blast. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at RyanWilson underscore 07 and uh, get your football knowledge from him. And you can follow us on Twitter. At the pick six, at pick six pod. I was going to say the pick six pod. But then if you do that and you put the word the in there, you could be following who knows what and you wouldn't be getting the information that you want and you would be really mad and you'd probably throw your computer through a wall and we don't want to be held responsible for the damage that you do to your own, uh, dwelling. So please don't do that. Will Brinson, we think we'll be back next week. I've had a blast guest hosting the pick six podcast. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. I'm Dave Richard. For our producer, Eric DiBerardinas, and our co-host this week, Ryan Wilson, thanks for coming out. Thanks.